The stock market looks like it's on the road to recovery while the economy is suffering. What's going on and what's the disconnect? We're going to talk about that on the show coming up. From the streets of San Antonio, straight to your wallet, it's Jake's Two Cents on Jake of All Trades. All right, everybody, welcome back. And my name is Kirk Barbera, and I'm not a financial expert. And I'm Jake Rivas. I am technically the financial expert, but together, Kirk and I talk about financial topics, financial planning techniques, and the economy, all with the express purpose of helping our listeners build wealth both today and into the future. Now, today we have a really interesting topic that I think is on a lot of people's minds um, and we, we most, I think a lot of times we don't think about finances and economics in our day-to-day lives, unless that's what we do, right. Is talk right. about it or think about it or write about it. But for most of us, that's not what we do, but there is a lot of this that's on our mind more than normal. I think. Absolutely. It, there's, there's just so much wonkiness is the term about great- what's happening in the economy. And you, you found a really good article. So why don't you set up and, Talk about this article, um, yeah. and this is from USA Today. I'll kind of just show um, an image of it. Yeah, the title of the article is, Here's Why the Market is Better Than the Economy Right Now. And I thought this was this struck a chord with me because I have this conversation a lot with clients when we're in the midst of this crisis and we see the, the financial markets just going gangbusters. Uh, And then the overall economy, we see job numbers coming in and it's like almost we're approaching 15% unemployment rate in the country, right? Like that's depressionary level economic fundamentals, but the financial markets continue their upswing. So this article just makes a couple of, just these couple of uh, quick little tidbits as far as statistics are concerned. So Mm -hmm. just uh, let's see, just a few weeks ago when the, the Bureau of Labor Statistics came out and, and posted the amount of job loss as a result of the pandemic, unemployment level reached 20.5 million jobs lost in the month of April alone. And you would think that is devastating. The financial market stocks appreciated 1.7% for the month of April. So we have a polar opposite movement in both of those. But when you think about it, you should see those things move together. At least that's what most people think, right? Because the markets are driven by business and companies. And if the underlying economy isn't supporting businesses and there isn't anyone working, how can the stock market continue to lift off the way that it has? Mm -hmm. If we look at just the performance from the bottom of the market, which was in March, the, the, the drawdown as a result of the coronavirus pandemic was the strongest and fastest market decline in history. I think the bottom, it was about a 33.8% loss in stocks over a period of just like three days, which is crazy. But if we look today, stocks from that point have rallied 31.25%. And Over that same time period, all of the devastating economic facts we've heard about, unemployment loss, uh, unemployment claims, job loss, we've still had a ton of sectors and industries that have been, are still closed. Why is this, why does the market continue to climb? Yeah, I think it's, it goes back to why 
um, you know, one of your points and one of your passions about giving people financial um, advice that they didn't get in grade school and in in their K through 12 education, right. in their basic education, which I think is true. And I also think we need, we need to have better, <laughs> in my view, a little bit better basic economic um, um, uh, training. Not, not being a professional economics, but just understanding what economics is yeah, and what an economy really is. And I think that's what this article is kind of, it doesn't like describe it and give you definitions, but it's kind of touching on that reality that, you know, what the article says is what the stock market really is, is it's, it's talking about future earnings or future you know, potential that they're forward looking indicator. Yeah, so, so what we're looking at is now these people are, are, you know, investing into the stock market again. And part of that is probably it was so low. One, one reason I imagine is it was so low. People were trying to, um, try, trying to like buy a whole bunch of stuff to, to kind of get, um, yeah. you know, get in on the game while it was low, which drives the price up. Right. I, I imagine that's one reason. One of the reasons, one of so the reasons, I you know, I think there's two, and that's one of the really important things to remember when we're evaluating the financial markets and the economy. This article uh, referred to the stock market is economy adjacent. So rather than being directly correlated, it's economy adjacent. Obviously, the stock market is reflective of how the economy is doing. But as you alluded to earlier, the first and form, first and most important thing about the stock market is it's a forward-looking indicator. Mm -hmm. And that's why it makes the idea of market timing and trying to decide when to buy and sell based on highs and lows almost impossible because the markets react first before we as the consumer actually realize what the true damage is or what the true reason was for the market to correct. So if we look at for this year, the markets started out in January rocking and rolling. Yeah. As those corporations start to learn more about the damaging effects of what the coronavirus pandemic was going to have on the economy, they react first. They react first for a number of reasons. One, they want to preserve the value of their assets. So they sell at a certain point. That massive sell-off is what drives down the equity prices. Now, they're going to drive down those equity prices to a level that they believe is more reflective of future earnings expectations. So if we enter January and Apple was, uh, actually Apple's probably not a good example, but let's use um, like an oil and gas company. We entered January, oil prices were pretty stable. We were feeling pretty good. Now the pandemic happens, stuff hits the fan. Those oil companies, by readjusting the value of their share price through selling, they're able to better reflect exactly what the true earnings are for those stocks. And so from an investor's perspective, it hurts because we feel that loss on those investments temporarily. But the reality of timing things and recognizing that the stock market is a future indicator is as the market starts to recover, as we're starting to see right now, we're just becoming the the data is just coming out to show us how severe the recession is going to be. So markets react first, then we roll into a recession, if you will. The markets can then rebound a lot stronger, even if the underlying economy is not doing all that well, because 
the markets and the stock prices have already adjusted themselves, the valuation, to reflect how their companies will likely perform in this new environment. Okay. Yeah, that, that makes sense. So it's, it's, um, I mean, it, like you said, it's, it's an evaluation of the future expectations. And then the question is, you know, these, these investors, their job is to assess that it's true or not. And then they vote with their wallet and they're going to vote. Yeah, I agree. This company's doing good strides. Um, like, you know, my, I always bring up 24 hour fitness, my, my gym, they're, yeah. they're revamping all their stuff for their gym. Right. And they, they're a publicly traded company. So it's like, are they going to survive and weather the storm? Right. Are they going right. to do the right things? Because they were talking about filing for bankruptcy. Well, now it's a good time maybe to invest in them. Like it looks like they're making the right moves. The CEO is making the right moves. I like how they're, they're going to, you know, like by the way, 24 hour fitness was just announcing that they have this app and you're going to schedule a time to go in. Um, so you actually put like, I'm going to go at one o'clock to the gym. You, you press your button and then you go and you have the gym for like, I don't know how long, like an hour or something like that. And then they're going to shut it down and then clean it all up. And then the next group will come in 20 minutes later or something like that. And wow. so they're going to do that and they're not going to be open 24 hours anymore, but they'll be open, I think pretty late, hopefully, but probably not all the way. They're going to spend yeah. some hours at the night, like deep cleaning. Right. Um, so anyway, they're, they're, you know, these are the things that they're doing to adapt. And so as an investor, you would think like, okay, that's a good company. I'm going to invest some money in there. And they're, they're less money that, you know, costs less to mm -hmm. get in, involved. So I think, you know, they're a good bet on the future and I can make some money on this. And so that's where that's how that's the appropriate way to visualize a market decline followed by a subsequent rally or yeah. a, re a recovery because we think about 24-hour fitness who the stockhold I don't even know if it's a publicly traded company but I think it is if, if it is or even if you know Gold's Gym or whatever Gold's if we have these investors and they recognize at the beginning of the pandemic, this is going to hurt. Let's go ahead and take the hit. The market declines, their share prices fall. And now we're at a lower level of expectations. We've reset everybody's expectations appropriately. And now those adjustments that companies are making to operate in our new normal are now viewed as a benefit. And so now that drives investors back into the marketplace to say, okay, we took our pause and here we are in a, in a healthier uh, environment. Let's get back in. And now that's how we see that recovery period happen. So it's the exact same thing broken down on an individual company level, like you just talked about with 24 hour fitness. Now the diff, the different, the difficulty is when you have to take yourself back when you're invested in mutual funds and you don't necessarily know all the companies and you just see that they're going up and down in value, you have to remember how the, the disconnect between the economy and the financial markets and when things correct, what it means for future expectations for the economy. I want to say the other thing to talk about is this graphic. If you can put that up on the screen. Yeah. I thought this was fascinating, and this helps clarify uh, a lot of questions that I've gotten about, well, if we had for two months the majority of the restaurants in the country were closed, how does that not severely impact the stock market? So this chart, which was put out by the National Bureau of Economic Research, or the data came from that, 
says that on the left-hand side, uh, the wealthiest 10% of American households own 84% of all stocks. And then on the other side, the bottom 90% own just 16% of all stocks. So if you think about this pandemic specifically, what class of workers or what class of the economy was most impacted? Well, it's going to be people that are working in the service industry, living paycheck to paycheck. Those people, those industries, they don't have, they have just as this, this graphic shows very little influence over the financial markets, which is terribly disconnected. I think I view that as not a good thing because well, now do you know why that happened though. Do you know why that happens? Because the, that's how we've, I mean, that could go down a different rabbit hole, but that's, <laughs> well, we I mean, but there are laws this. against, um, people who don't make a certain amount of money investing in certain companies like right. sec regulations. If you don't have a certain amount of, exp um, well, I don't remember the term, but a certain amount of excess cash that you can just lose basically then, mm -hmm. you know, so if you're not making like $150,000 a year, you're not going to be able to invest in like 90% of the, the good and the best investments. Like you're just well, not, not allowed through to mutual funds. It wouldn't be true through mutual funds. Cause if okay, you, through mutual you funds. A, yeah, you could work as like a server and open up an IRA and there's no minimum capital requirements for you to be able to like buy an index fund. So you could technically yeah. have access to the stock market. I think this illustrates more so the income, uh, disc, uh, What's the right word? Income discrepancy, income. Oh, you're talking inequality. about. Okay, I'm sorry. So I'm thinking. I, I think I interpreted it differently than you did. So that makes sense now. You're saying that ninety percent, or that the top ten percent, own like if you look at a look at it as a pie of stocks. There's a, uh -huh. a million stocks. They own nine hundred thousand stocks. Everyone else owns a hundred thousand stocks. So I was looking yeah. at it as there's a certain amount of stocks, and there's you know it's always fluctuating because there's stocks that drop. There's companies that go out. There's new companies that are born, for instance. So, mm -hmm. you know, you can't invest in a new company if you're just a normal investor. You can't do like, a, like I think you could probably give some money like to a cousin or something like that. But, you know, I, there are restrictions oh, yeah. for like certain kinds of bit of investments um, that, that a normal investor or a normal person, you know, you can maybe get a little bit of access in a mutual fund. But the best investments, most people don't even have access to you know, the investments that really, they have the most risk, but they also have the most upside, right? Mm -hmm. Like inve investing in some huge new venture that in, in Silicon Valley, where it's like, you know, you need uh, to put in a hundred thousand dollars, something like that in the beginning, like Amazon, you can't do that in the, in the early stages. Now you could do that now that they're IPO'd and yeah, you could, you could, you could do that. But right. that's yeah, what I thought you were talking about. It's like, we don't have access to and that's actually a difference between what's called the primary market and the secondary market. So there's two markets when we talk about stock investment. There's the primary market where a new company um, like Spotify, for example, they're about to go public with their initial public offering of stocks. Those initial offerings, oh, I didn't of know stocks, they weren't public. They are going public. Uh. They're going to go. Uh, public in the primary market first. And that's where qualified investors are allowed to buy. And that's what you're talking about. Whereas the secondary market- but That's where the most money is made. That's what I'm talking about. Correct. And that's where also the most amount of capital is required. That's where like capital requirements are are, need, are necessary. Yeah, but what I, my, me as a financial advisor, I'm not allowed 
to have my clients invest in initial public offerings like that. They have to be purchased and but sold. That's, so that's my point about your graphic. That's how I interpreted it differently is the top 10% have access to yes. stocks that we don't, right? And so that what when I interpreted it, I didn't interpret it as it's a pie of um, stocks that there's 100,000 stocks and they own 90,000 or there's a million, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. I interpret it as there's literally stocks you are not allowed to touch, which is true. And I think, but the what we have to face is this is a, a law. This is something that is arbitrarily put on us as, as a yeah, society. This is how the system works. It's yeah. how the system works. Now, you know, I disagree with that, by the way. Now, you can agree with it. You don't have to agree with me, and that's fine. But I think that's a that's part of the problem is that mm -hmm. people don't have access to some of the best stocks. Um, and, and well, I want to be, I want to caution you about that's saying just me. That's I, that's not your opinion. Access. Yeah, no, wanna, no. You know. But I want to caution you about saying they don't have access because, like, if we take the initial public offering for Spotify, they go out there and let's say in two weeks' time on this date the IPO occurs. Prior to the initial public offering occurring. Only investors that are buying, like investing directly into the company itself, have any access to those shares. So in that instance, you are correct. You can never have access to certain privately owned shares of companies. But once the company goes public, those shares are released in that primary market. Yes, it's true. Big time investors snatch up the shares in the primary market, but it's supply and demand. They're still going to sell those shares out into the secondary market. Now, where the in where the everyday investor like us is missing is that primary market space. But they can still buy Spotify shares. They just that, I, I understand that completely. You could buy it after all the big money's been made. Basically, that's my point. Is like you don't yeah. like it's created this weird set two markets. Whereas like it should just be like how does how does Spotify want to, this is just like the, the lesser government, you know, in me that's yeah. saying this. Right. But I, I, and I, I believe this though, that it would be better if we could just have people making decisions on their own, like a a company would just work with lawyers to structure how they would give out, you know, stocks uh -huh. themselves and, and different companies might do it different ways, you know? Um, but th that's just a, whole nother topic. But my, all I'm saying is that's how I interpreted it initially. Um, and I think that's still an okay way to interpret it because it's kind of the same result, right? It's still, the financial markets are still heavily skewed towards benefiting the wealthy. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And I think that's why a lot of people are mad. And I, I, I get it because like they have access, they do. Like these are the things, these are the, the, now they also take the bigger risks too, by the way, but um, which True. is- I mean, yeah, if you're buying into the secondary market, you're buying into a company that's already gone public, all of their, you know, everything about that company is known to the marketplace and you're going to buy it at like a fair price. If you're buying in at an initial public offering, they sort of say like, okay, this is our new shares and we're an awesome company, but we've never gone public before. We're going to set our price at $100. It's not uncommon for a bunch of investors to buy them at $100. And then a week later, as you start to delve into their financials and understand, because all that information is now public record, that the stock price will fall you know, three or four times what it was initially. So there is a lot more risk in that marketplace. Yeah. But you are correct. And it, 
it's reflective in this graphic here. And I think it's reflective in how we see this disconnect between the market recovery and the underlying economy. Just the fact that there is a lot of income and wealth inequality in our country. Yeah, and I think we should end by um, talking about the, the economy itself and what, you know, like, so we talked about the stock market, but then there's also the economy and, and how they're, they're maybe related, but they're different too. They're not the same exactly. And in the sense that the economy, at least the way I understand it in, in studying it is the economy is, you know, um, when you think of like Adam Smith and the wealth of nations, it's actually the ability to produce things. It's all the infrastructure is a big part of our economy. And we've said this on the show many, many, many times talking about, um, excuse me, I'm getting a little fuzz on the audio talking about the uh, uh, way that even if like an airline company right now is not operational, right? It's, it's, it's sitting there. It, the airplanes are still there, right? The, the pilots and the mechanics and the people with the know-how for these airlines are still in, they, they're not blown up. So they're still there. So like when you're voting with your dollars for investments, you know that, fact you know that at some point they're gonna it'd be totally different if there was a massive war and every airline in america was decimated and there was like no planes now yeah. what you would be investing in is the manufacturing of those things right it would change that um but even there like that would take a different kind of hit mm -hmm. right that that kind of hit would be much different because now you're talking about actual loss of things and stuff and abilities, right? Yep. Um, whereas this, we, I think we've taken a hit. Um, in my view is most of the hit was because we were inflated too much in the wrong places. So we thought things were better than they were in our economy. And so we were spending money in those places, but this mm -hmm. bubble, this is my opinion, uh, mm -hmm. by the way, but this bubble kind of um, revealed some of the, the inefficiencies in our, you know, in different sectors of the economy. Absolutely. Cause like what we said at the beginning, if the markets are a forward looking indicator and they, they correct as such a, such a dramatic level, that's a resetting of expectations. Yeah. So you, you could assume that expectations were not set appropriately before. And that's yeah. kind of why the magnitude was so severe. Another good way to think about the economy too. There's like three, there's three components of it. The three most important components, business consumers and trade. Yeah. And of those three, consumers are the biggest driver of economic activity. So if we have an instance where here we are in a pandemic and the consumers are taking some of the biggest hit, while that's going to impact the economy, we can see that, oh, well, only 10% of those consumers actually have own oh, 90% or 84% of the stock market. So if the bottom 90% of the consumers are the ones impacted by this, it kind of makes sense, even if it's not the right thing and we have problems with the structure fundamentally, that does make sense as to why we see such a divergence between the stock market and the economy. Yeah. Yeah. That's so there's a lot of variables. Tons of variables. It helps to, which is important to understand when you're dealing with these situations is, you know, what affects the stock market, what affects the economy. There's a lot of things, you know, so the way I think about it is, and I, I don't remember how the quote goes, but it's something like, you know, it's a depression for you if you lose your job, right? And you don't have money for food. It doesn't matter if the rest of the economy is 
doing doing well. So when you think about like the technical term of recession and depression, it's like, yeah. you know, some people, for instance, may have gotten jobs during this and made more money, right? Yeah. You, you know, so if you think about like you, your stocks took a hit, but now you you take over as CEO of the new this new airline, and now you're getting paid, um, you know, seven hundred thousand dollars a year or something with stocks for, that are going through the roof now. That mm-hmm. you know, so it's like there are people who. Um, it's not a depression to them at all financially. Yeah. And then there are people who it is a depression, of course, because there's 20 million people who've lost their jobs. But then there are people in a, a good economy, like in January, who had lost their jobs, you know, at the turn of the year, at the last thing, they were downsized into whatever industry. And and that's to them, that's a depression. So it's always yeah. important to remember that there's the individual component and then there's the um societal, you know, yeah. grand, you know. 20 million, 20 trillion dollar economy, whatever we are now. Um, that's what we're looking at. And then the global economy. So it helps to kind of put them all into perspective. Absolutely. Yeah. Helps too. When you, when you hear a lot of the, the comments and the data and you read data about what's going on, helping to segment out, keep these, keep all of these different things separate yeah. in your mind, because that's also how we approach planning. We recognize the things we have control over and the things we don't have control over. But always keep in mind, we'll close with this, the stock market is not the underlying economy. It is economy adjacent, but it is not the underlying economy. Yeah, that's important. All right. Now, um, I'm going to do this. It's time for a new segment called Jake Loves San Antonio. Yes. And we're going to uh, close with this little thing. So Jake, I'm going to pop up on the screen. This, this uh, company you like, this is a San Antonio company. Yeah. And why don't you tell us about this? So this uh, gentleman is actually a friend of mine and also someone I work with in my practice. His name is Sean and he's an estate planning attorney. And Sean is pretty amazing because when this pandemic happened, he recognized the the unique value that his firm was providing in this environment. And that is protecting people if they get sick through the use of estate documents like wills and medical directives and powers of attorney. Those types of documents become really important if you get sick. And here we are in the midst of a pandemic. And so what his firm did was they created a huge discount program for creating a basic estate planning package of these documents for teachers and healthcare workers, anybody who was direct, those professions that were most severely impacted by the pandemic and the shutdown, he was actually discounting the work he was doing and he was drafting documents for $50. These are professional estate documents drafted by a licensed attorney for $50. I can tell you, I got a medical directive uh, created with a nurse friend. And I sent this to a bunch of my clients as well, because this was a huge benefit. So I just wanted to give a shout out to Sean at Sean Chaudhry Esquire, his law firm here in San Antonio, because they are doing amazing work. And if you need those documents drafted, I don't know if he's still doing this for people, but worth a shot, check out his website and hit him up because he's pretty great. And his website is smc, as in cat, esq.com. That's smcesq.com. Cool. All right. All 
right. Well, thank you, Jacob. Well, yes, sir. Jacob. We're going to wrap up Jacob. <laughs> I know. I th- I've always thought about changing my name permanently to just Jake, but Jacob sounds more professional. So I leave it at that. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> I like it. All right, guys, before we get off on another tangent, thank you so much for watching this episode of Jake of all trades. Be sure to pay your taxes. Follow us on social media by searching for at Jake's two cents. We're now on Instagram at Jake's two cents, Facebook (laughs) and the blog Jake's two cents.com. Take care and have a great day. Securities and advisory services offered through Commonwealth Financial Network. Member FINRA, SIPC, a registered investment advisor. Fixed insurance products and services offered through CES Insurance Agency. Actual performance and results will vary. These interviews do not constitute a recommendation as to the suitability of any investment for any person or persons having circumstances similar to those portrayed. Consult a financial advisor regarding your specific circumstances.